Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hi, I'm Michael Strahan, and join me for Giant Steps to make it a Big Blue's first Super Bowl champion in oral history from the Players' Tribune, powered by digital media. Relive the moments that shaped the 1986 Giants as told by the men who contributed to that legendary defense, Bill Parcells. It puts these guys together forever, and that's never going to change because they're each other's guys, and there's only a few of them. Harry Carson, Pepper Johnson, Elvis Patterson, George Martin, Leonard Marshall, Carl Banks, and of course, LT Lawrence Taylor. Nobody played with us. We was absolutely dominant. It was like men playing with boys. Nobody played with us. You can smell it. You can feel it. We could do anything. Anything. Subscribe via iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts so that you can get giant steps to make it a Big Blue's first Super Bowl champion. Hello, I'm Peter King. Welcome to the MMQB podcast with Peter King, where I take you inside the minds of the biggest influencers in the NFL. This week, Atlanta general manager and Super Bowl architect Thomas Dimitrov and Seattle quarterback Russell Wilson, the only passer to beat both New England and Atlanta in 2016. I asked Dimitrov, who cut his teeth under Bill Belichick in New England, what's the one big thing he learned that's helped him the most as a franchise architect in Atlanta? One thing that really stands out is indisputable role understanding. And they obviously say it in a different way. I was politically correct when I came here. I told Pioli this. I said, you and Bill said it in a different way, like do your expletive job. I asked Russell Wilson, a two-time Super Bowl veteran, what advice he'd have for first-timer Matt Ryan. I think I'll keep it very simple. You know, the game's 100 yards. It's 53 and a third. It's the same football, same laces ever since he'd been a kid. You know, and uh, you lace up your cleats the same. Ain't no different. Now my conversation with Atlanta Falcons general manager, Thomas Dimitrov. Back on the MMQB podcast with Peter King, we're at opening night of Super Bowl week down in Houston. We're actually in a very strange place. We're in Minute Maid Park where the Houston Astros play. And we're here because this is where the NFL is having all the opening night interviews with both teams. I'm here with Thomas Dimitrov, the general manager of the Atlanta Falcons. And Thomas, I want to ask you a lot about yourself but I want to ask you first about what you took mostly from your history in New England, having worked for and with Bill Belichick for so long. 
You know, I, I learned so many things, as you can imagine, right? All the, the, the great things about how to run an organization. One thing that really stands out is indisputable role understanding. And they obviously say it in a different way. I was politically correct when I came here. I told Pioli this. I said, you and Bill said it in a different way, like do your expletive job. Obviously, I cleaned it up. So when you look back on your time in New England, I wonder, did you know that you were a part of something historic? I always felt I did. Like I always felt I was very aware that there was something very unique with that organization. And I say all the time to people now, like what was, people ask me what was different about it. I said, everyone in that organization from the lowest level ball boy all the way through the ranks up to Bill and, and Scott and Bill, that everyone believed that they were the, the best at their damn job in the entire league. Like no one could beat them in their job. So there was this, there was this confidence in that building, even though they weren't thumping them, their chests and everyone was hyper aware of bulletin board material. I think deep down everyone believes that they're the best in the league there. Thomas, I want to go back, way back in time, and ask you a little bit about your history. You have one of the strangest and least likely histories of a Super Bowl team architect that there ever was. Talk a little bit about where you started, where you got your love of football, and then how you sort of nurse that going through college. Well, if I could, I mean, if I could summarize it, I grew up in a football family. From the day I was born, I was around football. My dad was a coach. Always wanted to coach football. Knew nothing, wanted to know nothing about, uh, you know, putting a scouting, you know, a team together as a scout or an evaluator. All I wanted to do was be the best damn defensive coordinator ever in the history of the world. That was what I wanted. I loved defense. I loved aggressive defense. Somewhere along the, the, the way, my dad, who was a longtime coach, different, different levels in, in uh, football, suggested that I try scouting and suggested uh, that it might be a good journey to, to travel. I got into it. I got into it at a lower level in the Canadian Football League, and then I was in the World League, moved through different ranks. I How did you get the job in the Canadian Football League? I, you know, it's funny because I had scouts that used to come around because I had gone to school in, in Canada. I, I, I'm not Canadian, but I was in school there, and I had a number of personnel men come through. You went to the University of Western Ontario. I actually didn't. I went to the University of Guelph. Guelph, which sorry Which is a difficult thing yeah. to, yes. So the University of Guelph, really good school. Good, I thought it was a great academic school, and I was excited to be there. Um, at that point, I knew that it was like Division Three football. I was going to play a lot of football, and that's what I, I wanted to do, and I ended up doing. But through there, I met some people in the CFL, and, and they, they asked me, like, hey, are you interested in getting into scouting? Because if you are, you can come out to Saskatchewan in the middle of the prairies. Who has seen the win? Famous book written out in the Canadian prairies. And I thought, I'll give it a shot. I was out there two years. I don't think I had one date out there. I mean, it was tough. <laughs> I was dissuaded from hanging around the players, and, that, and the players had all the girls in town, right? So I was in a, I was in a tough spot. But it, honestly, it was where I did a lot of introspective uh, work. Uh, Interestingly enough, it was in Saskatchewan where I, where I had become vegetarian because I was learning, learning a lot about my world and about balance and about this and that. So uh, anyhow, so I, I spent a lot of time different places and I, then I went to the World League and then I got a chance at lower levels at different organizations. My first NFL job was with the Detroit Lions, went on to the Browns, went on to the Patriots where I learned the most as far as putting teams together, as far as evaluating and, and systems through Scott Pioli and Bill Belichick and how it was to evaluate players at a different level, being very, very succinct and direct. And uh, I think that's, that's uh, served me very well. The one thing that you had told me about your scouting background when you were really just getting started out, 
that you really had to love football if you were going to work in that environment. CFL scouting, you know, I, I'm not saying NFL is glamorous, but CFL significantly less so because you're not always scouting for the best players. You're scouting for players who you think you can get. So what was that like? Well, I mean, that's, that's kind of difficult, but it is about the love, right? To be able to go out and evaluate talent, evaluate athleticism, which has always been a key part of my evaluation prowess is really targeting athleticism and speed and explosiveness, which, by the way, forward many, many years, was, very, was a very good match between Dan and I, which a lot of people don't realize. Prior Dan, Dan Quinn, your head coach. Dan Quinn. I mean, when he came on board and we started interviewing him about, you know, the love of athleticism and fluidity of movement and, and explosiveness in a matchup league, I was, it was like music to my ears. And I'm like, this is a guy. This is, this is exactly how I feel we should build teams. So I, I spent a lot of time at a lot of different levels evaluating, and I really enjoyed the nuances of it, fine-tuned elements of trying to figure out the best aspects and, and uh, abilities and skills of a player. It's always been something that I've loved. Even when I'm in my most down moments and the most challenging moments over these years when it's been a rocky road, when I go back to evaluating talents where my, where my heart is and is where I, where I feel the most comfortable. So, Thomas, you absolutely don't fit the script of sort of a grizzled NFL scout. You just mentioned you're a vegetarian. Every time I come in to see you, we have tea. But what's so interesting is that people have told me that you, when you have scouted at times in your past, you don't want to stay in hotels. You like to camp sometimes. <laughs> and so what is it about the outdoors and scouting or whatever? What do you do and why do you do it? So that's interesting. I mean, I've, I've, I've run many roads and many journeys out west. I used to take my, I had a Eurovan, a Volkswagen Eurovan that had a pop top, and I'd be traveling through the west, and I'd stop at my schools, and in between, instead of driving another 300 miles, I might pull up at a, at a campground in the middle of the Redwood Forest, do my reports, and, and you know, focus on football in a different way. I, back then, some of the older scouts used to say, you know, damn you, Thomas, our bosses are going to tell us to do that instead of spending money on the Marriotts, right? <laughs> but we, but look, I, I mean, I, I really enjoy it. I love the outdoors. I, I still have a home in Boulder, Colorado. I love getting out on the mountain all the time as much as I can. Look, in the end, my passion is football through and through, but I also believe you need balance. And I believe, honestly, having grown up in a football family, I, it's, I'm not sort of one-sided that way. I know where my passion is with football. I also know the, under, the importance of understanding making sure that you have things to keep you balanced. So when your bosses over the years have heard things about you staying at KOAs instead of Marriott's, what have they said? Like, what did Bill Belichick say when he found out that you're out camping? Well, I think, like many, uh, you know, he beats to his own drum. And, and I've, yeah. you know, look, I've, I've, I've felt that way uh, as far as my approach to things. I've always been that. I'm, I've never been a, a, a follower, and I, I say that I've never been a good follower, I guess. It's always been something that I believe that you can do as a team and you can, you can forge your own path. I believe that in, in anything, as a player, as an executive, as a leader, as a coach. And, and interestingly enough, my dad in his final months, uh, unfortunately he, he was suffering renal cell carcinoma and passed away with cancer in the final months of his life. We had a lot of really deep talks about it. And one of the things I was most proud of is this was a hardcore football man, meat and potatoes all the way with a vegetarian son who liked to <laughs> camp. But he, I remember in, the final, in those final hours, so to speak, where he would say to me, you stick by your guns, you, you live your life the way you want to live it, and it's going to serve you well. Wow, great lesson from your father. Yes. Really good. So there's a couple of things that I find interesting. We talked about one of them last summer, and we'll get into football in a second, but you spent time last summer 
in France at the Tour de France. And first of all, you ride bikes. You love riding your bike. But how did you get into the Tour de France? And then how did you come about spending time with a team at the Tour de France? So my, my connection with R.C. Buford with the Spurs, who I have a great deal of admiration He's for. He's the general manager of the Spurs? Of the Spurs. He's really close with, obviously, Popovich. Dan and I, interestingly enough, have, have spent a lot of time with him, looked at his, his relationship, and, and think that that's really admirable, the way that he and Popovich run their show. So through, through my connection with, with R.C. Buford, he's introduced me to a lot of international people who have a real sports, sort of sports performance mind to them. One happened to be with David Brailsford, who is a principal of Team Sky. Team Sky has won four Tour de France's. David Brailsford is magical, Sir David Brailsford. He invited me he's to come from England? He, yeah, UK, wow. through and through, was a former cyclist himself. And we started talking at some of these leadership symposiums that I was around with R.C. Buford and other people around the country. And he invited me to, to go to the tour. And I said, okay, that's great. I would love to come there. I flew over. I, the very first time I got in the car, I thought I was going to be in the back, in the back uh, cargo van. He put me in the front car of the, the infamous stage this past year where Chris Froome, the winner of the tour, gets knocked off his bike by the crowd and he starts running up up the uh, up the I pass. remember that. It was outrageous. Most outrageous moment. And there I was in the front car thinking... And you're watching him? I was petrified. The leader of the Tour de France has been knocked off his bike? And he's running, and I'm sitting in the car, and I'm we're behind him, and he's like looking at us like, is someone going to bring me a damn bike? I'm looking there with my... like I'm looking there as a guy who, if I were to be in a football game, I'd know what to do, and I'm thinking... I, I, I was petrified, but it was, it was beside the Super Bowl, it was the next most exhilarating moment in sport I've ever been around, being around them. I was around them for a few days. Unfortunately, it was when Nice went down last year, so instead of going to Nice where I was supposed to go, David Brailsford and Team Sky invited me for the next five days. I toured with them, and I was a part of it, and it was really interesting being around that. What would you take from that? What would you say that you learned from that that sort of helps you in your job now? I really believe cycling is so dialed in on the science side of it, right, and it's marginal gains. And David Brailsford and Team Sky, they believe in marginal gains. The smallest 1%, 2 and 3% can make an uh, exponential difference in the success of a team. Seeing it firsthand and, hand and the little things they paid attention to, the small details, whether it was a food, whether it was a performance, whether it was sleep, all the different nuances of their approach to being successful, I really believe that that helps. Dan is really open-minded to that, Dan Quinn. We've spent a lot of time talking about that, even though he wasn't there with me, the importance of marginal gains. So you're happy you did it? I'm so happy. And he invited me back. He sent me a congratulatory uh, text, David Brailsford did, and said, you know, we're all you excited You should have him invited him here. I know it. I know it. You he, really should I, have. I know. It would have been great. Yeah, but, you know, he would look out at this thing that we're seeing tonight. There would be, I don't know, 30,000 fans sitting here watching people getting interviewed. And he'll say, America's really fallen off the rails. Well, it's funny, speaking of cycling very quickly, I get a call from a good friend of mine, although a controversial friend of mine, in Lance Armstrong. And Lance, I told Lance, he has a podcast. I said, you need to get Peter King on. He said, I'd love to get Peter King on. So I'm putting my pitch in here for you to get on with Lance Armstrong. I want to be on his podcast. Awesome. I really want to be on his podcast. You can yeah. shed a lot of light on, on a lot of things in, in sport, and you may be able to segue into a conversation with him about it as well. Oh, wow, that's fun. All right, uh, here with Thomas Dimitrov, general manager of the Falcons. A few more. So I have a lasting memory. So every year around the time of the draft, I try to go somewhere where something is going to happen. And in 2008, you had your first draft 
with the Atlanta Falcons. Michael Vick is in Leavenworth. Your quarterback yeah. is in Leavenworth, so he's not your quarterback now. You got to find a quarterback. You guys got kind of fixated early on on Matt Ryan, but leading up to the draft, there were a few teams that sort of that wanted to come up and talk to you about maybe making a trade. The Baltimore Ravens were interested. Other teams are interested. So I want you to recall that if you can, that day, the day or two leading up to it, about what was going through your mind, why you were sold on Matt Ryan, and why you didn't take one of the offers that came your way. You know, it's interesting because they, uh, at that point, it was uh, Mike Smith and I t spent a lot of time talking about the, the direction of the organization, how we knew that we, as much as we both wanted to build a, quite honestly, a badass defense, we ended up focusing on offense, which was counterintuitive, I'm sure, for Smitty at the time. But we knew how important a quarterback was. Spent a lot of time talking about him. We had, there, was, there were reports out there that we were really interested in Glenn Dorsey, though we respected Glenn Dorsey as a, as a player. We knew we were never going defensive tackle. We knew we had to go quarterback. On game day, so to speak, on draft day, there were all kinds of rumors stirring around that someone was going to move up in front of us to get Matt Ryan. And I remember, to Mike Smith's credit, we were sitting in my office. I get off the phone, kind of slam the phone down. I'm like, Smitty, I mean, we're hanging off the edge here. I mean, what are we going to do? What do you want to do? Do you want to get aggressive and go up uh, a, uh, uh, um, uh, a draft pick? Or do you want to you want to stay put and do his credit? You know, he took a deep breath. He said, "T, we need to stay right here. We're going to get him." So I'll always appreciate Smitty's. Is that because he felt like if you had to trade a two, there was another player you were going to be lacking going forward? Yeah, I think so. And I think in the end, he he just had a sense that there was a lot of gamesmanship going on. We had some intel, and that's how it goes on draft day, man. There is so much stuff, you know, flying around. We had some intel that you know there may it may be a little bit of a BS. So we hung tight, but it was good for him to be able to be the encouraging factor. You know, I hated that one of your memories from that draft is something I told you the night before <laughs> the draft. I told you and your wife I felt terrible about this in later years because you remembered it, she remembered it. Like, hey, you better not screw up this pick or you're going to get whacked in a couple of years. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> We're sitting in a new house in Atlanta, in Buckhead, right, at that point. I think we even poured a really good bottle of like silver oak or something like this, and you were kind of swirling it around. This is what I remember. You were looking at the color, and you were looking around. You thought, okay, this is good for a young guy in the business. And you kind of looked at me, and I, as you were swirling, I felt like you were saying, not only will you be not, not be drinking this fine wine, but you may not be in this industry, at least at this position, if you screw up on this pick. And I remember looking at you. At that point, Angeline looked at you, and she said, wow, that was, that was pretty harsh after you left. And I said... Hey, that's the reality. But I do remember what you also said to me in all seriousness. You said, but Thomas, 10 minutes after I say this or I report this, report something, you know, people move on. That's yeah. the way this business yeah. is. So you, yeah. were very, you were very candid about the, the reality of it all. This is the MMQB Podcast. QB Podcast. I want to ask my listeners a quick question. How would you like to get three home-cooked meals for free? Well, all you have to do is remember these four letters, MMQB. That's easy enough, right? Keep listening and I'll tell you how to get those free meals. Look, we all know there's nothing better than a great home-cooked meal, and no one makes it easier for you to do that than Blue Apron. Their mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. Blue Apron knows that when you cook with incredible ingredients, you make incredible meals. 
so they set the highest quality standards for their suppliers and only bring you the best ingredients, all right to your door. Blue Apron's freshness guarantee promises that every ingredient in your delivery arrives ready to cook, or they'll make it right. Now comes that part about the three free meals I was telling you about. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash MMQB. Think about it. Three free meals. Just by adding MMQB. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. Once again, that's blueapron.com slash MMQB. Blue Apron. It's a better way to cook. The one other thing I want to ask you about is after the 2014 season, okay, Arthur Blank decides to fire Mike Smith. You were sort of dangling on a wire. You didn't know what was going to happen to you. Nobody knew. And who knows, Arthur Blank might have made that decision to move on. I want to know, what were you thinking in those days? Were you thinking, gosh, I really like this Dan Quinn guy. I want to not only hire him, I want to work with him. What's going through your mind and what happened, do you think, to make you stay? Well, I, I, you know, we were in the process after we had let Mike go, and Mike and I, again, had a great relationship. I was very proud of that, and I thought Mike was a three-time coach of the year, and I was really happy with what he was doing with the team, of course. In the end, we made, we made a decision. Ultimately, Arthur made a decision to move on, and I remember and then we started getting out on the, on, the, uh, on the path trying to figure out who the next coach was. I remember interviewing with Dan Quinn, and I thought, not only from the athleticism speech stuff I had mentioned earlier, but... The idea that this guy was very positive, he was very passionate, he was driven, he was focused, he was authentic, and he believed in competitiveness and toughness. Everything that I was thinking about, like this is the next wave of this organization, that I was really, really excited about working with him. One of the things he said to me, just he and I alone, he said, Thomas, I have the goal to have a relationship with a general manager that is going to be perceived as the best in sport. So 15, 20 years from now, people look back on our relationship and they marvel at how good it was, how productive it was, how communicative it was, and how we work together to build teams. This was not a czar setup at all. This is about a true partnership. And I remember that striking me because this was the same thing very quickly. When I came into the building back in 2008, Arthur pulled me aside and he said, Thomas, I have a lot of experience in partnerships. Your partnership with the head coach is imperative. My, his partnership, Arthur Blank at the time with Bernie Marcus, to do what they did at Home Depot, I used that as a little bit of a model and I realized how important it was from that standpoint. I got a chance to look at Scott Pioli and Bill Belichick and their partnership and I realized it still miffs me today or still has me back on my heels when I look at organizations that don't work very, very uh, diligently to try to keep that relationship strong. And uh, I honestly think that, okay, it was just announced last night as we sit here on Monday night at the Super Bowl, John Lynch goes to the 49ers. Look, everybody knows that John Lynch just walked in off the street and got this job. He's not a general manager. He's not a scout. But they gave him the job, and I talked to Jed York, and there is no question that one of the reasons that he did this is because he thought that they had that kind of relationship. They had the potential for that kind of partnership. And in my opinion, sometimes what happens with a GM and a coach, the dumbest thing, I think, is when they interview coaches and they say, oh, by the way, this guy here is going to be your GM. 
Okay, like it's happened to a few coaches. I remember it happened to Josh McDaniels in Denver. Oh, by the way, Brian Zanders. Nothing wrong with Brian Zanders, but Josh McDaniels didn't know Brian Zanders. Why do you do that? I mean, shouldn't you have some sort of relationship, which is why I really think that the best partnerships are often started with these meetings like you had with Dan Quinn. You know, that, that you have to find out, and Arthur Blank has to get a sense are they going to be able to be two peas in a pod? No question. I mean, you, you can sit there and think that you might have a, an idea that you force feed someone on one or the other, right? I mean, look, I look back on it. One of the things that struck me, I remember the crossroads of my career thinking about that partnership. Wasn't really that sure about it. Have been around New England a little. When I saw two very, very uh, good football men out in San Diego not make it work with Marty Schottenheimer and A.J. Smith, I was appalled. I was thinking, why, why can't this this can't happen. These guys are really, really good football guys. And I realize more and more, I mean, if you're not operating along the same wavelength, if you're not able to keep egos in check, you shouldn't have to have a whole bunch of lines and silos and worry about it, right? You shouldn't be defensive with each other. And that's what's great about Dan and I, our relationship. Whether it's talking about scheme and ideas, he's so willing to talk to me about that. I'm so willing to talk about, obviously, the personnel side at levels. If he has opinions about the personnel people or I have opinions about the coaches, as a partnership, we should be able to talk about anything, not be defensive about it. And Dan is the least defensive guy I've ever met this way, and I, it's been really fun working with him along those lines to help the organization get better. See, my feeling about why your team is so good. Why your team is here right now is so seven of your 12 starters on defense, seven came here since Dan Quinn took over as coach. So they're either in their first or second year. And I mean 12 because three corners play. So that to me, you having the ability to have this relationship with Dan Quinn, that he knows that he can tell you and Scott Pioli and and Steve Sabo and your staff, here's what I want in a middle linebacker, and here's what I want in a strong safety, here's what I want in a defensive tackle. And you guys know, okay, here's the prescription for this, so let's go do it. And that, to me, I mean, you look, seven of the 12 guys on your Super Bowl defense just got here. I mean, that is a crucial element, I think, of your success. To, to, to that point, for sure. I mean, Dan has been very direct about the nuances of the players and what he's looking for, especially on defense. I mean, I'm not saying it's easy to scout offense, but there have been more mistakes made on the defensive side when there's not proper communication from the staff about exactly what they're looking for in a, in a certain linebacker or in a safety or in, you know, your number three corner or in your pass rushers. That's the thing that Dan had a really has a really, really good very, very clear idea of what he wants. And we disseminated that. He did. The, the coaching staff did with our scouting staff. We all, we all were like truly in the mode of making sure that all the information was out. And I, the other side of that is, to Dan Quinn's credit and this coaching staff, he is so gung-ho on developing young talent. To have four starters on that defense in their first year. A lot of coaches don't want to play rookies early. That's the reality. <laughs> this isn't a, a dig at any. That's just a reality. Yeah. Dan has the swagger and the belief that he can get the most out of these players. And he played them from game one. He didn't wait until the sixth or seventh game. So by the time these guys get into the playoffs, they've already played a season. That right. is really encouraging to a general manager, as you can only imagine. Because in the end, if a guy doesn't work out, we truly know he didn't work out and he was given all the opportunity and coaching and a development approach, then it's time to part ways. It's, it's, I'm just saying as team builders, it's tough when you don't have an opportunity to really develop. The first year, they don't play a whole bunch. Second year, maybe they play special teams. Third year, they're not producing real well. And then you're like, well, it's time to move on from this guy. That's tough. 
last two with Thomas Dimitrov, general manager of the Atlanta Falcons. How do you think your team is going to handle this week? You know, I mean, a lot of these guys are going to say, holy crap, look at this. So how do you think your guys handle this? Well, it's funny because it was reported today that two or three of our guys have any Super Bowl experience at all, our players. Interestingly enough, we have a number of people, coaches, executives, myself and Scott, who have been around Super Bowls. Dan Quinn's coached in two. They are feeding off, you know, the, the, the uh, elders of this team, so to speak, at, at certain levels, our coaches. And there's a swagger and a confidence about this, this young team overall that I just am really, I really admire. They're not, they're not worried. They're not, they're not uh, taken aback by the stage. There's a, you've seen it in our practices, the way that not only the music, not only that side of it, but there is a, an element of, hey, we are who we are. We're the athletes who we are, that we are. We play fast. We, we believe in a matchup league. We believe as a team, they believe as a team, that they can go toe-to-toe with anyone in this league, respectfully to everyone, Patriots included, that they're, they're a very competitive team that think that they can compete at the highest level. Do you love the fact that the team on the other side is the Patriots? Yeah, I love it. Or do you care? No, I do. I mean, they're my second favorite team in the National Football League, (laughs) and they're my first AFC favorite team. So the opportunity to play against them in the the, uh, Super Bowl. Did I tell you that when I did this interview a couple of Sundays ago with Kyle Shanahan, I said to him, we were talking in the middle of the second quarter of the NFC Championship game, and it was up on the TV, quiet up on the TV. And I said, well, it looks like you're playing New England. He said, good. Ah, and it like wasn't he wasn't saying, okay, Belichick, come on, let's go. It wasn't that. Right. It was that I really want to play the best team. That, and that's exactly <laughs> right. I think there's never that. Everyone respects Bill Beyond for his abilities and that team, the way that they're playing. And I think this team believes like they want to be on this stage. They're ready to be on this stage, albeit young, and there's a lot of youth on it. They believe they've worked really, really hard to get here. Thomas Dimitrov, good luck in the Super Bowl. Good luck in your Tour de France career <laughs> this summer. I hope you go again. I do too. And it was a pleasure talking to you. Wish you the best this week. As always, thank you so much. You're listening to the MMQB Podcast. SeatGeek is the smart way to buy and sell tickets for live events. Whether you're looking for Super Bowl tickets, and time is short for that, or looking to find the best deals on tickets to your favorite sports teams or concerts, nothing beats SeatGeek. There's nothing like being in the stadium watching and cheering for your favorite team, and with SeatGeek, it's never been easier to get the seats you want for great value. Plus, every ticket you buy on SeatGeek is backed by their 100% guarantee, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Now, pay attention to this part. It is vital. My listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. That's 20 bucks right in your pocket. And to get it, all you have to do is this. Download the free SeatGeek app and go to the Settings tab and click Add a Promo Code. Then, enter promo code MMQB. SeatGeek will then send you $20 after you made your first ticket purchase. It doesn't get any easier, folks. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code MMQB today. Now my conversation with Seattle Seahawks quarterback, Russell Wilson. Back on the podcast with Russell Wilson, the quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks. And there's a reason why this week in Super Bowl week, we're having a quarterback on who's not playing in this game. But I felt like it was important to have a person 
on our podcast this week. And of all the players in the NFL this week, if you would ask me, pick one that you want to have this week, I would say Russell Wilson. It's a very simple reason why. Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks, uh, they're the only ones to beat both Atlanta and New England this year. In week six this year in Seattle, the Seahawks beat Atlanta 26-24. Russell Wilson was 25 of 37 for 270 yards, completed 68% of his throws. Week 10 at Foxborough, coming off a short week Monday night game, uh, Seattle beat New England 31-24 on a Sunday night. Russell Wilson had a twin game, 25 out of 37 also in that game for 68%, three touchdowns, no interceptions. So anyway, Russell, now that I've framed it, uh, thanks a lot for coming on the podcast this week. Oh, man, thank you for having me, Pete. It's, uh, I wish I was playing this week, but uh, but I guess the second best thing is talking to you. Yeah, well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. So I want you to tell me, if you can, uh, when you think back on these two games, if anything, what did they have in common for you? Well, first of all, they're, they're two great football teams. They're they're both very, very deserving of where they are. And, uh, you know, the Patriots, obviously, um, with Tom and, and, and what they're doing there and, and how, how successful he's been, you know, uh, every year, year in and year out. You know, his consistency is, is remarkable. Uh, you think about Matt Ryan, um, a guy who's been able to overcome situations and had a, a great season that he's had this year. Um, it's been a, mar- a marvelous season for him, and, and their team has played at a high, high level. Guys like Julio Jones and Mohamed Sanu, uh, good friends, and, and, uh, and Devontae Freeman, another good friend. Those guys can really play, and their, their defense has stepped up uh, as, as of lately and, and really have played some great football and really has uh, helped them. And I think Coach Quinn is a tremendous football coach too as well. So, you know, they have two great football um, players and, and, Matt, and, and Matt Ryan and, and Tom Brady playing in this game and then obviously uh, two great football coaches, uh, Hall of Fame coach and, and, uh, and Coach Belichick, obviously, and, uh, and, and Dan Quinn, a, a guy who's been to several Super Bowls now in the past uh, few years, obviously with us two times, two times in, in the Super Bowl, winning one, and then obviously uh, this, this is his third time being in the Super Bowl. So he, he knows what he's doing. He's a great coach and a great person, and, and it starts there. Russell, what was the hallmark of practicing for two years against Dan Quinn's defenses when he was the coordinator? Well, Coach Quinn, he, he, he's so disciplined. He gets there super early in the morning. He has his guys prepared. Um, he loves the game. He's a player's coach, and guys love playing for him. And, and you can see that in Atlanta. So, um, you know, that's why we love Coach Quinn in, in Seattle, and that's why he's, uh, we're, we're so happy for him and that he's uh, you know, in another Super Bowl doing a great job. Uh, he's very, very deserving, and Coach Coach Carroll, um, you know, uh, has been a mentor to him, and and, and vice versa, and, and it's just been a, a special situation for Coach Quinn in, a, in Atlanta. So we're happy for 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 those guys, and um, you know, in terms of uh, going against Coach Quinn, he, like I said, he's got a rowdy defense that plays fast, and he he's just stays stays disciplined, stays true, and uh, they they do what they do really really well. And um, you know, for us, when we when we played Atlanta the first time, it was a, it was a tough a tough game battle. We were able to um, come up with a huge win. I wasn't able to move that well in that game because uh, of being dinged up, but um, we were able to. Um, make some key catches, some key throws, some key plays, and defense came up with a few good stops, too, as well, and just a great football game against two two very, very good football teams, and then uh, you think about uh, the playoff game, we were rolling there on offense, and then uh, 
had that punt return called back, and, uh, and then they kind of took the momentum and ran with it, and so they had a great season. And so uh, they're very deserving. Uh, you know, like I said, I've known Matt Ryan from a distance for a while, and I'm, I'm happy for, for who he is and, and, and who he's, uh, how he's played this year, and he's a great football player. We're talking to Russell Wilson, quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks. In both of these games, I find that looking back on them, and I watch both of them, and I find looking back on them, you were restricted physically in both of these games. So you probably had to play more from the pocket, certainly in the Atlanta game. But you probably had to play more from the pocket than you normally would have. What are these two teams? Because obviously Matt Ryan is mostly a pocket guy, Tom Brady mostly a pocket guy. What do they do to disrupt a pocket quarterback? Well, I, I think for me, um, in that in those two games, you know, I was like I said, I, I couldn't move that that well, and you know, especially in the Atlanta game, the P- Patriots game, I could move a little bit better. But you know, I, I think that you just got to take what they what they give you, you know, um, and take advantage of the situations that you have, you know, capitalize on game altering plays, be great on third down because you you, you want to uh, keep the ball, you want to keep keep moving and and, and staying uh, staying positive and getting positive yards, and obviously. You need to score touchdowns. Touchdowns are are crucial against uh, great football teams, and we have to score touchdowns. And so um, that was kind of our thought process in that game. That's why we were able to capitalize and score touchdowns. And we had some more opportunities too, as well. So you know, so it, that, that that was a good thing. And so we were able to capitalize on situations in the game against Atlanta. They they've got seven of their twelve, and I count twelve starters on defense because obviously a third corner plays about two thirds of the time. So seven of their 12 guys on defense are first- or second-year guys. In talking to Dan Quinn last week, one of the things he told me was, hey, you know, when guys don't know everything that they're doing, sometimes they're playing their four or five guys who are playing at 4-7. So I, I wonder, when you watch them preparing the first time you played them this year, week six, versus preparing to play them, you know, in the second game in the playoffs— how different a defense, if at all, was this? Well, I, I think the biggest difference is, you know, um, and I can speak to this because I, I was fortunate to play in my rookie year from game one ever since I've played a bunch of games. And, and uh, in every game you go into, you just get that much better. You get The game slows down that much more, and uh, the confidence continues to build, and you just continue to grow and understand what you're trying to do. And, you know, at this point now, for me, you know, I understand the offense so well. It's, it's, it's kind of like riding a bicycle, you know, and then, you know, for those guys, you know, on the defense, like you said, they had so many young rookies, first or second year guys that are still talented, talented players, but they were able to uh, continue to elevate their game and they were able to do that all season. And, you know, you get to practice against a guy like Matt Ryan and their defense and then, or their offense, I should say. And then and you have a coach like Dan Quinn who's really getting them prepared at a high level. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a testament to hard work and how it pays off. And, and then, you know, you think about the other side too. You think about the Patriots. You, know, you got a guy. Tom Brady has been there for, for a very, very long time. You know, um, I'm not sure how, what year this is for, for Tom. I'm, I'm assuming probably like 15 or something, something 16, like that anymore. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, so he, he's uh, he's been in that offense. He understands it. He controls it. And then their defense, you know, Coach Belichick and and, uh, and the defensive coordinator, they, they really are on top of what they're doing. And they, and they know how to do it really well. And they stay disciplined to that. And that's why they, they play free and make a lot of great plays. You know what I thought about the New England game, looking back on it, I, I, which I think is really, really important against their team? Okay, you had a bunch of long drives. You had 
uh, two drives of eight plays. You had one drive of nine plays. And you had two drives of ten plays. And that's what I think is really important against the New England Patriots. You know, don't try to take too big a bite of the apple. Move the ball. Just uh, don't get too greedy and be content with getting first downs and not getting 35 yards. So was that any part of what you guys thought that day, and how important do you think that is against New England? Well, I think that's an interesting way to look at it, Pete. You know, as you know, like um, I think for us, we weren't looking, necessarily looking at it that way entirely. I think more than anything, it's just be great on third down. And when you're great on third down, that's the same drives. That gives you those seven, eight, nine, ten play drives, maybe more. And uh, we were able to do that in that game. And and uh, we were able to come through in, in a clutch and make plays and be great on third down, win our one-on-one matchups. There's going to be a lot of one-on-one matchups in this game, and it'll be interesting to watch it, watch those, obviously. And that's what's going to win the game. And, and any time it's a playoff game and any time it's big moments like that, a lot, of, a lot of times it's one-on-one matchups that, that win the game for you. And, uh, and so we'll, we'll see what happens. It'll be a great battle. Um, that's what we were able to do. Um, and, uh, and like I said, it was a tough environment to go to Foxborough. I mean, those, it doesn't get any tougher. You know, you think about, um, you know, all, all the times they've won there and, and, uh, and just the, uh, the synergy that that stadium has. Um, you know, it's tough to play, and we were able to capitalize in a tough venue. And, and, uh, and so, um, and like I said, you've got to be great on third down. You've got to be uh, able to capitalize in the red zone. Uh, and you got two great quarterbacks going after it, so it'll be it'll be a great matchup for sure. I'm guessing that if you look at your five year NFL career so far, and you were to look at regular season wins you've had, short yep. week in Foxborough, Tom Brady on the other side, Bill Belichick on the other side, where does that one rank? Oh, it's one of the toughest things you got to do, just because of you know who you're playing against and Tom and. Uh, you know, great football player and, and, and their defense too as well. And then obviously uh, Coach Belichick and and uh, like I said, the, the the energy, the synergy in that in that stadium too is, is a tough place to play. You, you know, you you drive, you know, you stay in the hotel, you drive, you know, forty five minutes away, hour away to get to the hotel to the to the stadium. It's it's uh it's kind of a certain feeling around that stadium. Obviously, with you know, with just the energy of the stadium and then, and then also with all the championships and everything that they've done and all the wins. And there's a certain uh, I don't know aroma in the stadium, <laughs> you know, and yeah. uh, so you got you got to go there. And you got to play tough. You got to be tough minded, and we were, and that's how we played, and and uh, we were able to capitalize. But uh, you know, granted, they still had an unbelievable season. Still have done so many great things, and once again, um, they they prevailed in a, in, a, in a really, 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 really tough fashion, in a good fashion, as you can see. So you got to um, you got to you love watching Tom play and the things that he can do, and, and that Coach Belichick just knows seems to know what he's doing every, every year in and year out. What would you say now that you've had the opportunity to face a Bill Belichick, Matt Patricia defense now a couple of times? What would you say? I mean, when I think about it, I sort of think of both their defense and their offense that sort of every game plan's a snowflake. You know, you don't know exactly what you're going to get. They're all different. And I wonder, as a player going into a game against the Patriots, do you have the feeling of, let's say, man, I thought they were going to do X, but instead they came out and did Y? What what exactly happens when you take the field against a Belichick team, and how does it compare to the expectations you had going in? Well, um, you know, I've been fortunate to play him a few times, uh, several times actually, it's my rookie year. Uh, you know, we played him in Seattle my rookie year. We played him. Um, obviously in the Super Bowl, we played them uh, obviously up in Foxborough, and um, you know just 
uh, I, I think for, for them, they're just coached extremely well. You know, Coach Belichick gets, gets those guys ready. I mean, he's as good as it gets. And, uh, and then you think about Coach Patricia, too, as well. I mean, he's a passionate, fiery guy that knows how, how to coach those guys and technique-wise and understanding what he wants to go with and what type of dogs and blitzes and, and schemes and, and uh, what coverages he wants to run. And, and uh, they're going to they're gonna test you. They're going to play man-to-man. They're going to, um, you know, try to show too high man, too, as well. And, and uh, just do some different things, and then they'll mix it up with some zone. So you just got to be ready for everything that they show, and and uh, you know they they stay true to what they know, and uh, that, I mean that's why they've been so successful year in and year out, and, and the hard work that it takes to get there. Um, and, and so we're continuing to do that here, even in Seattle. We're just every day, every day it's a testament to hard work, and uh, because of the hard work, it, it pays off. So I think that's why we've been successful in Seattle. I think that's why they've been so successful in, in New England. It's because of great coaching, because of hard work by the players, and because of staying true to who you are and, and loving the game. And uh, and those fans always count too. The Patriots fans are great fans. Um, Seahawks fans are the best in the world, in my opinion. And, and just it just doesn't get any better. So uh, those are two great organizations that know what they're doing and how to do it. And and uh, you now you can see that you know Coach Quinn really has those guys doing the same thing. Of you know there you know in, in Atlanta because of of the type of coach that he is, because of the type of players that they have. And and so you you have great appreciation for great football. And uh, and so that's why you love watching. You know teams like the like the Patriots and and uh, and even the Falcons now. So, so like I said, going against a, a defense like that, you know they're going to be really really disciplined. They're going to be really really sharp. We understand they're going to communicate really well, and they're going to make their plays. They're not going to miss too often, you know. And so you got to play at your best level. This is the MMQB podcast. Every football team knows the two point play can be a winning move, a real game changer. That's why State Farm is here to help you combine your home and auto insurance. Two great policies, the two-point play, protecting two of your most valuable possessions, all with one company. It's a great call that can save you time, can save you money, and it simplifies your life. Because State Farm understands your life is about more than insurance, especially at this time of year, when everybody knows life is all about football. Football, football, football. So, Go for the win. Score yourself some savings by combining your home and auto insurance. It's just another way State Farm is here to help life go right. Talk to an agent today at 1-800-STATE-FARM. Two other questions just about this matchup. One is, so I talked to Malcolm Butler the other day, the corner of yep. the Patriots, you know, who you obviously got to know in a very, in a very gigantic, <laughs> huge play way. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunate for you. Yeah. yeah. Life-changing for him as well. But so I asked him about playing Julio Jones, if indeed he does. And I thought that one of the things he said was, it was really interesting. And, and the hallmark of, it's almost like what Richard Sherman would say in that, you know, he he was talking about, hey, I hope they put me on him. If they don't, it'll be the best idea for our team and blah, blah, blah. But he said, I really want to play against Julio Jones, and I hope that I come up against him a lot. So what's your feeling about Butler and about the importance of that matchup in this game? Well, it's huge. It's it's, uh, it's going to be magnified, obviously. Super Bowl and a lot of one one on one matchups, and that's what great time, great big time players do. Malcolm Butler's a tremendous football player, um, and uh, and he's fast, he's quick, he's got great understanding of the game. He's coached really well too, as well. And then you got a guy like Julio Jones, who's um, got unbelievable ability. Um, he's tall, he's fast, got great hands, uh, just 
runs every route just right. And so, um, you know, you got two great football players going against each other, and uh, it'll be a great matchup, obviously, once again. And, and uh, it really, when you're watching this game, that's what's really going to help define this game. I think also, too, up front, you know, you know, the quarterbacks having time and making their throws, and, and uh, you know, the, those two guys have time, and they're, they're tough to stop. So I, I think that the, those two things will really, really show up in a, in a big way. Um, obviously, Julio on the red zone, third down. You know, another great player. Honestly, that's going to be huge in this matchup. Obviously, Julio, um, but also Muhammad Sanu, a guy that's just got great hands. He's physical. I, I end up training with Muhammad coming out. Um, you know, we were came really, really close at IMG and a great friend. And he's he's just a, a great football player. And he's been physical. He's been a difference maker for Matt Ryan, too. And, um, you know, he's he's a big-time football player. So, um, you know, watching, seeing who's covering him, too, as well, and, and seeing how much of a factor he has in this game will be huge. And always, always a running game, you know, for both sides. You know, the watching uh, Gary Blunt run the ball. They, had, they got my guy James White from Wisconsin. Got to, got to give him a shout out and his ability to run the football and be quick and catch the ball in the backfield. And Lewis too as well. Um, so they got some really really good backs in, in, in New England. And then you know obviously you know, the backs that they have in Atlanta are just stellar football players from Devontae to to uh, Tevin too. Both of those guys are. Are um, they've really come onto the scene in a high high level, and, and uh, they're, they're difference makers, and so you got a lot of playmakers. And uh, but that, yes, of course, that Malcolm Butler Julio Jones matchup will will, will be a, a huge huge asterisk star over that one, and we'll we'll see who wins that one. Russell, not that this would come up in a week like this, but let's say that you were on the phone with Matt Ryan at some point this week, and he was asking you about sort of. <laughs> the size of this game and this week and the emotion around it and the media around it and the attention to it. What are a couple of things you might tell him that you learned your first time in the Super Bowl when you guys uh, were in it a few years ago? Well, I, I think I keep it very simple. You know, the game's a hundred yards. It's 53 and a third, it's the same football, it's the same laces ever since he'd been a kid, you know, it's uh you know, and uh, you lace up your cleats the same. Ain't no different. Uh, I will say half times a little bit longer. Other than that, uh, you know, uh, you just hope you hope you win it. So um, you, you go there to win it. You, you don't go there. You don't go there to play scared. And uh, you know, that's why you love it. So um, that's why I play the game every day. You know, that's why you want those great moments and you have no fear. And I know that for me, I I have no fear. No matter who we're playing, no matter any time, any place, um, I, I want to be there. And so uh, that's kind of my mindset. Um, and I know Matt is definitely probably very, very similar. So you didn't feel any particular, you didn't throw up in the tunnel before the game. You didn't, it was not that much of a difference between that game mentally for you and, and the butterflies for you? Oh, no way. I was so zoned in looking forward to the moment. Uh, both times I've been to the Super Bowl. So uh, you just love it. You know, every, every game's a, 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 an important matchup and, and, uh, you know, like I always said, there's just a few more flashing lights, you know, and so uh, that's uh, that's the good part about it, you know. So, um, it, it's like I said, uh, you know, it'll be, it'll be cool to watch these guys go after it and, and see who wins it. Tell me in your mind, if a Seattle Seahawks fan is listening to this podcast, what can you tell them about your team, your off season? and whether you guys can come back and be a legitimate Super Bowl contender in 2017? You know, every year is a new start. You know, every year is a new opportunity. And if you try to, you try to rely on what's done before, whether it's good 
or not as good as you wanted it to be. You know, that, all that doesn't matter. You got new faces, new guys. Uh, fortunately for us, we got a lot of the same ones. But every once in a while, you'll, you'll have some new new young guys come in. You'll have maybe some free agents that come in and make a huge difference. And so, um, you know, we're, we're looking just forward to just having the opportunity to play again. And, and uh, we wish we were playing in this one, but unfortunately we're not. But, you know, this offseason will be the best offseason that I've ever had. Uh, I know that uh, what we have coming up will be amazing, too, as well. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna make a difference, and we're gonna uh, we're gonna open some eyes and, uh, and keep those eyes open. So uh, you know, just make sure that uh, you know that, you, that, you, that everybody's ready because we're gonna be ready to roll, and we're excited about that. We got a lot of great football players: Jimmy Graham, Doug Baldwin. Uh, I think Paul Richardson's a great football player. Tyler Lockett. We're praying that he gets healthy, and, and uh, Thomas Rawls will be ready to roll too. And then and the guys on defense too, um, all the way across the board from Cam to to Earl, to uh, praying that he gets healthy too, and, and obviously Richard and, and Shed and those guys. Um, we're excited about the opportunity, and uh, it's never easy. You know, you just take one day at a time, do everything you can to prepare at the highest level, and that's where the separation is. Separation is in the preparation. That's what we're looking forward to, just trying to win it all. And uh, But you don't win it all, you know, in one day. You win it all through the little increments and the little steps that you take along the way, and, and, uh, and, and uh, we're already taking those. I, I'm excited about I'm already starting to train already on February one. That's my my start date for me. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to be training like it like it's the uh, most important game of my life every day. So, um, that's what I'm looking forward to. You think Earl Thomas comes back? Oh yeah, for sure. I, he loves the game too much. He, you know, I think he just uh, you know was going through a moment, but uh, he loves the game way way too much. And uh, and if he, he acts like he's not, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to his house and pick him up and drag him to the field. <laughs> <laughs> Love that guy too much for him not to be out there. He's too good of a player. Listen, really appreciate you being on the podcast, and uh, wish you luck in your off season. Just as we are in the middle of Super Bowl week, you're going to be starting training. So I guess that means you're not going to be coming to all the parties in Houston. Uh, no shot. <laughs> I'm already. Uh, only time I really want to go to Houston is or to the Super Bowl is if I'm playing in it, hopefully winning it. So you know, hopefully I'll see you guys next year. I'll talk to you soon, Pete. Always a pleasure talking to you, buddy. Take care, Russell. See you. It's the MMQB Podcast. Thanks very much to my guests this week. Before we go out, you know, just a few thoughts about the matchup in Super Bowl 51. You know, I think we all look at this game and say, wow, Atlanta is the eighth highest scoring team in NFL history. There's a record over under in Vegas for this game. And if you ask me, and I'm glad I don't bet because I wouldn't have the house I live in right now because I stink at predicting things. But if you ask me, I think this is going to be more of a defensive game than offensive for a couple of reasons. I think New England's defense has totally gotten lost in the shuffle. And the other unit here that's gotten totally lost in the shuffle is the front seven of the Atlanta Falcons. Because to me, if you watch this front seven play late in the season and in the playoffs, this is a unit that has really come together. Rashidi Hageman has become a really good, disruptive interior pass rusher. Uh, the young, obviously, the young pass rusher, Vic Beasley, is very good. I think the underrated guy on the Atlanta Falcons right now is Deion Jones. Nobody knows much about him. Nobody's heard much about him. But he's the inside linebacker that makes that defense go. And, uh, you know, last week I was talking to Dan Quinn about his defense, and he just 
half the conversation, it seemed, was about Deion Jones. He loves him. He's the kind of guy, even though he's a different size, he's not quite as thick. He's a different size player than Bobby Wagner, who obviously Dan Quinn had with the Seahawks when he was there for two years as defensive coordinator in Seattle. He's a different size player, but he's also the nerve center of that defense, the way Bobby Wagner was. So let's move over to New England. I think what is so interesting about this team at this time is the amount of young players who are playing huge roles. You know, really interesting thing happened. I wrote about it this week in Monday Morning Quarterback, but a real interesting thing happened. There's three Patriots on their team right now who were not born when Robert Kraft bought the franchise back in the early 90s. And so they taped something for Kraft and they were they came on the video and they were all incredulous. They said, hey, we weren't even alive when you bought this team. That's how long you've owned this team. Thanks, Mr. Kraft, whatever. But what's so interesting about that is one of the guys who did it was this interior defensive lineman named Vince Valentine. Now, think back to the AFC Championship game. The Steelers are at the goal line, and the Patriots bring in their goal line defense. Vince Valentine is in the middle of it. Here's a guy who nobody in America has ever heard of. So he's in the middle of their defense. So they send D'Angelo Williams up the gut and, uh, you know, very key play in this game. Vince Valentine comes in, and he throws them back three yards. A huge, huge three-yard loss. Uh, prevented the Steelers from scoring seven points right there. It was a huge play as this game developed. And so my point, the only reason I'm bringing up Vince Valentine is that the New England Patriots do better than any team in football. It's been 16 years that they have been finding these Vince Valentines. You go back every single year. You get to late in the season, you scratch your head and say, who's that guy? Who's this guy? And now people in this game are going to be saying, you know, who's Vince Valentine and who are these other guys on defense? Are you kidding me? You mean they've got two huge players in this game from Rutgers on their defense from Rutgers? But that is what Bill Belichick does. He gathers players. And because he has final say on the draft, obviously, he gathers players that he knows will fit perfectly in his defense. You know, one other thing that I want to mention that I find totally fascinating. This is the 16th year of this great run by the Patriots. I believe that in certainly in the salary cap era and maybe in the Super Bowl era, uh, because it's not over yet, this team is going to go down as the best team in the half century of the Super Bowl era. And it's in part because you know, 14 division titles in 16 years, seven Super Bowl appearances since 2001. It's just been absolutely, you know, you've lived through it. You've watched it. You've paid attention to it. It's amazing. But I want you to think of this. A lot of people will stand up after having a season like this and they'll say, well, you know, uh, it's been a great run and we're going to try to keep it together. But, 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 but. Well, wait a second. I want you to look at the New England Patriots now. They just embarrassed the Houston Texans in the first round of the playoffs. The Texans, you know, were no match, even though Houston's got a good defense, and played the Patriots tough for a little while on defense, but they just can't score. 
And then you get the Pittsburgh Steelers, supposed to be a far better matchup. And the Patriots, obviously, you know, the Steelers don't get a touchdown pass in this game until garbage time in the fourth quarter. So the Patriots just were so much better than each one of their playoff foes. And, and I will just ask you this question. Think of all the teams in the AFC right now. Is there a team in the AFC right now that is within a touchdown of the New England Patriots if they played on a neutral field? I don't think there's any chance of that. Maybe that was the case in 2007 when they had their 16-0 their perfect season. But I'm not sure that there has ever been a year where you can look at the Patriots and say they have distanced themselves from their AFC competition more than this year. And what's incredible is that everybody knows exactly what the Patriots are doing. Everybody knows that Tom Brady is going to be there, and Tom Brady is 39 years old, but he's still doing it. Bill Belichick, seemingly with no more tricks up his sleeve, always finds a way to throw a change-up, to throw a curveball at the opposition, and he does such a great job of it. This is not meant to be the 9,432nd time this week that you're going to hear, geez, the Patriots are good. My point to you is that the Patriots are going to continue to be good because Tom Brady is determined to keep playing. There is no sign, no sign whatsoever, except Tom Brady's birth certificate that says the New England Patriots are going to decline at all. And that, for the rest of the AFC, is a frightening thought. Thanks to my guests, Atlanta General Manager Thomas Dimitrov and Seattle Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson. If you enjoyed these conversations, be sure to listen and subscribe to the other great episodes in the MMQB series, such as my talks with John Elway, Larry Fitzgerald, and Adam Schefter. You can find these on the MMQB.com or on iTunes or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. Listen to other podcasts in our series as well, with Albert Breer, Gary Gramling, and Andy Benoit. Thanks to the fine folks at Digital Media for their production work. And thanks, of course, to my sponsors, SeatGeek, Blue Apron, and State Farm. Please support them the way they support this podcast. And I'll see you next week after Super Bowl 51. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.